Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And my guest today, I'm so excited to introduce you to. He has many things next to his name. Well, he is the principal at Rob Associates, which might clue you into maybe who you're about to meet. He is a marketer, consultant, an author, an analyst. He is a Harvard Biz grad and the founder of the CDP Institute. My guest today, David Rob. How are you, sir? I'm great, Casey. How are you? Good, good. I mean, there's so much to talk about. I mean, in the marketing community, I, I, I've heard your name for years, and you know, and sort of been influenced by you. So it's a, you know, it's an honor to talk to you now uh, and pick your brain on all things data and data prep, and then getting into things like CDP, you know, like data platforms and the single source of truth for for data out there. So um, here, let me pass you this. This is Thor's hammer. <laughs> okay. And, uh, Take Thor's hammer and then smash some bogus myth or some ridiculous strategy you've been hearing out there in the marketing world. All right. Well, there are, of course, many, many myths out there in the marketing technology world. Uh, maybe one is just that marketers know how to buy technology, which uh, certainly is something that many marketers have found themselves doing these days. But sure. Uh, you know, if they wanted to buy technology, they would have gone into IT, right? They, they went into marketing because they wanted to be marketers. And now over the last few years, many of them, us, because I'm a marketer, uh, you know, find themselves doing all this technology buying stuff. And it's not easy. And it's not really what they were trained for. And so they, they struggle with it. And certainly, I don't think any of them, I don't think it's a myth that it's easy. Because right. they they know better, but they do really have to work and learn and recognize that, hey, this is a new skill that uh, I really have to acquire because nowadays it's what marketers do. They spend a lot of money buying technology, so they really have to make a point to not assume that they know how to do it and you know, take the time to learn how to do it right. I am totally guilty of that. Long-time <laughs> marketer, long-time buyer of things and had never really considered that that is actually a skill figuring out, you know, the negotiation. Do you have some, I mean, what, what, what are your tips on that? I mean, what, what are we doing wrong in that world? Or? Well, you know, the thing by far the biggest mistake and it's the sure. most common one is not to actually think about your, your requirements. You huh. know, people, they go and they say, oh, well, this is the most popular tool. Everybody else is using it. So it probably does what I need because my needs aren't that different. Now, this is one of the very few parts of life where people say, hey, I'm like everybody else, right? Most of them say, oh, no, I'm different, right? But somehow in technology, they think, oh, I'll just use, you know, this platform that everybody else uses or that one without really thinking, well, no, what am I going to do with it? What are my requirements? What are my use cases, if you must use the term? You know, what, what exactly do I expect to get out of this tool? And then look and see if you find a tool that actually does what you need. Because a lot of the tools that are really standard don't necessarily do what you need. So that's, that's, that's the mistake. It's not looking at features, not looking at requirements. They, you know, they get excited by the interface because it's cool. They deal with a good salesperson. Their friend used it. It's the yeah. one that they see, you know, somebody talking about at a conference. 
all of which, you know, you wouldn't buy a car because your friend liked it. You would buy a car because you know that car did what you need. And right. Technology is no different. You know, requirements gathering uh, seems like such a foreign concept in that you almost like it's reserved in the, the realm of product marketers or like you said, IT even, or even, even developers, you know, who are thinking about their users and gathering requirements. The users need to accomplish X or their experience needs to be like Y. It almost seems like a different realm. So I could see how, yeah, in marketing, we're, we're, we, we kind of overlook our own requirements gathering. And you're right, we get, I don't want to say tricked, but we, we look at these features or we get in a flashy demo like this thing is awesome. I got to get this. And you don't necessarily even know what it does or you haven't thought about what you need it to do. Exactly. Exactly. Very common. So that, you know, that's the number one mistake. There are others, but if you get your requirements right, then the other stuff kind of follow, falls in pretty quickly. How do you get your requirements right? Well, you really have to sit down and again, ask yourself, what do I want to do with this tool? What am I, what's the marketing program that I'm going to run? Right. That I can't run today that I will be able to run with this tool in place. And then you really literally walk through the steps of, okay, I have to get the data in. I have to do this processing. I have to do this calculation. I have to put the results over here. Then I have to move it over there. I have to create this content. Just step by step by step. What are all the, the tasks I have to accomplish? Some of which I can already do because I have tools to do that. Of the ones that I can't, how am I going to do it in this tool? And then when you sit down with the salesperson, you say, okay, this is what I need you to show me this tool doing. Not show me your can demo, which has a lot of cool stuff that I'll never use and I'll be excited, but you know, it's irrelevant to me. I need to be able to take the predictive model score and attach it to a Salesforce record for right. sake of argument. How are you going to do that in your system? Because if you don't do that, and you buy the system, and the first day you sit down with it, after you sign the contract, you're going to say, okay, now I'm going to put this predictive modeling score on the Salesforce record, and, and your trainer's going to look at you and say, oh, we can't do that. You can't do that with the system. Who, who told you our system could do that, right? And, you know, if, if you didn't ask, then you know the <laughs> You sign that annual contract. <laughs> yeah, and you're stuck now, so now you got to find some workaround. You know, um, and I guess sometimes we know what the requirements are. Sometimes we don't, but you know, doing the research to find out what should I be looking for? Maybe not always asking the source, not asking the salesperson to tell you what the requirements are because they may line up with what they're selling as opposed to what you're buying. You do. Funny thing about that. The can thing. Yeah, I know the, the can't, you know, there's a feature in marketing automation, um, advanced dynamic content. Mm -hmm. and it's really cool changing up websites and changing up emails based on things, you know, dynamically. Right. And it's really cool. And a lot of people buy based on that, but it's not one of those things you, you develop early because there's so many bigger fish to fry, but it's interesting how people, you know, it's just a good reminder. There's certain things you have to do first, second, third, fourth. You know, I, I like to put the strategy first and then process is important, but then leave technology for after you've, you've kind of mapped it out ahead of time. That's exactly right. Again, you know, the only way you know what programs you want to run is by going a step behind that and say, well, what, you know, what's my strategy? What programs support my strategy? Because otherwise you could, you know, as you say, have some cool dynamic content program. Oh, I'd really like to do this. But it turns out that, A, you don't have the right data for it, which is right. to talk about. Uh, and, B, it's going to apply to about 3% of your customers and it's not going to, you know, really have any value worth talking about, whereas just 
you know, dividing your file into five segments and sending a different static message to each of those five segments is way more valuable to you. And, you know, most people, as you say, they start out using the simple tools within the marketing automation system. And the vast majority never even graduate to the more complicated tools. And, and that's just fine. You know, there's a lot of value to be having simple tools. But you have to work it all out in advance. And the other thing about requirements is people will say, ah, you know, I don't know. I can't figure it out in advance. And then they buy, and then they still have to figure it out eventually, right? That's true. Well, then you have to figure this stuff out. So you might as well figure it out sooner and then get the value of having figured it out and selecting the tool, then buy the tool and then figure it out later, which is just as much work. And then suddenly decide, well, you know what? This probably wasn't their best tool for what I need to do. Huh. <laughs> it's so you know it's funny I, every now, I, that's why i love podcasts because I, I bump into these concepts that i've never even thought about yeah i mean we i don't see we get tricked but we buy so much software i remember one tool it had these fancy buttons and the cool looking ui and i just was like oh this thing well i'm sure it'll help me with my adwords you know because it looks so good so pretty and uh, i bet you people think that about hubspot too whoa shots fired so um but yeah, you a good interface, but you got to have your requirements. I love that. And you know, and I also think about multi-touch reporting. We bump into this a lot where people want multi-touch reporting and they don't have multiple touches to report on. <laughs> <laughs> they have they want to report on them, but they don't haven't done them yet. So it's like cart before the horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, multi-touch is tough, right? Because it's a lot of ways to do multi-touch wrong, basically. <laughs> most yeah. people, if they do it at all, most of them don't do it. But if right. they do, they do it in some around you know oh yes let's have a u shape or a w shape or this shape and we have no idea if that has anything to do with reality but it just <laughs> sounds like it's more accurate than first or last touch and it may be but you have no way to know yeah i mean what's your take on that i mean while we're on this topic multi-touch attribution in particular yeah uh well, well my take is i say it's, it's often done wrong okay um you know to do it right you do need a lot of data you do have to have not only have the touches but have all the data connected so you know that this interaction over here and that interaction over there with the same person and then put that in some place you know like maybe a customer data platform say yeah. that actually has the data all together and makes it easy to analyze yeah normalize dealing yeah. with that kind of time series data is really tough in sort of conventional databases so you really need a tool that, that's, that's quite uh specifically designed to handle that and then the math of that to do true fractional attribution uh, is very complicated. So it's not something you want to try to do at home. It's something that you really have to have uh, a proper tool or possibly an expert, but more likely you'll buy a tool that does that, uh, that'll at least get you close. And then you recognize that, hey, nothing's perfect and it's not 100% accurate anyhow, mm. but at least uh, you can do a better job than if you just do a super simple version that, that you know, that's like clearly wrong. You know, it's, I love that. And everything we've talked about so far, all these, I drew these arrows, they're all pointing to data. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, buying, you need the requirements and, you, and it's like, do you have the data? And then multi-touch attribution. Hey, the reports may be there, but nothing's in there because you don't have the data or it's not normalized. You don't have it all in one place. You don't have a single source of truth. So, you know, are we missing this as marketers too? We're just, the, we just assume the data we have is good or what's, What's your, your well? I, you know, some of us assume the data that we have is good. Most of us know darn well that, that we have very little access to our data that's uh, 
I would love to say that surveys show that's the number one headache. They don't really show that, but <laughs> they show that, you know, things like organizational issues and, and, and right. budgeting issues are really in time more than anything else, you know, is what prevents people from doing what they want to do. But once you sort of remove all of those issues, which at, at the end of the day, those are all issues about will. You know, I can find the budget if I really want to. I can find the time if I really want to. It's just mm-hmm. about prioritization. And that can even make the organization uh, do what needs to be done if I have the right authority uh, or if I can make a strong case. But technology, you know, no matter how much I want the technology to be there, it's not there unless I make it actually go out and and acquire it or in some cases build it, right? So data is the same way. I have to really get my hands on the data. I have to recognize, no, it's going to be some effort to pull this data together, it's probably sitting out there in all my different systems, but to pull it together in one place so I can do things like multi-touch attribution uh, or the, you know, the cross-channel campaigns or all the cool stuff, or even the simple stuff that says, hey, I want to do, you know, take the data out of my e-commerce system and push it into my advertising so I can do retargeting, even simple stuff like that. It takes a fair amount of integration. And, and that's a real challenge. And you know, marketers, they feel that pain. It's not that they're unaware. Right. That that's a problem. What they don't necessarily know is how to solve it. Yeah, yeah. So, I, two parts to this. One, how do you know? What's your approach on data? So, getting it ready for marketing, and then I think two, we should get into where it should live. Uh well, okay. Well, getting it ready for marketing. Well, those are those are very closely related, right? I mean, oh, cool. It's all ears. <laughs> Help me, David. <laughs> you know, data, it originates wherever it originates, right? It starts out in your CRM or your marketing right. automation right. or your website, your, your web analytics. So the first step to do is just to well, pull it together so you can kind of see what's there, what you got. Okay. And part of that pulling together process is usually the cleaning and, and the prepping and understanding what's clean, what's dirty, what's accurate, what's not accurate, where are my gaps, and so on, right? So, because until you have it all together, you just don't even have that that complete picture of what you're dealing with. So, you want to pull it together into a central repository. Uh, you know, typically a customer data platform nowadays. Uh, and then you want to do whatever cleaning and transformations and merging and identity managed resolutions. So you you know pull together the complete profile of of each individual. So you have all the data in one place and assemble so you get just a view of what they've done and where they're going. And then you do your additional work on top of that and says, okay, now that I have all this data, what's my best prediction for what this guy is going to do net? What segments does he belong in? Where is he in the buying process? What, whatever it is I need to know, which in turn then finally begins to drive my campaign to say, okay, now that I know what's going on with this person, what's the thing to do? What campaign should they be part of? What message should they receive when they show up on my website? You know, whatever it is, and there's a lot of decisions to be made. But if you don't have that, that that central platform with your data in it to provide the basis, the information to make those decisions, then you're just kind of flying blind. Right. And Excel is not exactly your central uh, place for keeping uh, data. Excel's great. But doing a bunch of VLOOKUPs and trying to merge that. So talk to me about CDPs, customer data platforms. I don't know if I've had my head in the sand or if this is a new thing, but it, I've definitely been hearing more and more about it lately. Um, it's, yeah, it, it actually, uh, well, the term's been around for a while. I actually named the term uh, back in 2013. Wait, wait, so you actually, because I've, 
I point you to the web, you know, the blog post. Yes, it's documented proof. Um, I did not copyright it. Man, I get the biggest smile on my face. I, no kidding, because you'd be the person to ask this question to. Tell me, like, so wh- why created this term? And so, oh, so the backstory, yeah. I'm yeah. the, the short backstory, sure. uh, is that again, I've been a marketing technology consultant for uh, more years than you know I care to admit. Um, and up until then, what we saw was when pe- people would have marketing applications, so like a campaign manager mm-hmm. or a predictive modeling system or an attribution system, whatever. And each of those systems had to have somebody build a database for them. So you had a data warehouse or a marketing database, it was often called, or a marketing data warehouse, whatever you call that, that was a custom project for every company. And, 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 and then you would attach your other applications to them. So they were two separate things. Okay. Got it. And what we saw back in 2013 is all of a sudden a lot of tools that both had the applications, so say the predictive modeling tool, and were building their own database. So the idea of a package software building a marketing database or building a data warehouse, that was a new thing. And it needed a name and kind of looked around and the letters CDP were available. Nobody else was using that acronym. You know, very important to have a three-letter acronym. Sure. Uh, so, I, so I backed into, you know, I backed into uh, something that fit those letters. Not literally true, of course. Um, <laughs> I did check, though. Well, CDZ, you know. Uh, right, wouldn't it work? Yeah, I mean, we could have come up with a few different things, but <laughs> that worked. Uh, so I gave it the name, then nothing happened. You know, it wasn't like the light bulb went off and the heavens opened up. But some, it percolated, and I wrote a lot about it, and other people sort of, made sense uh and and then for some reason around 2016 the term did take off and, and i don't I, mean, I, I can show you the google trends thing where the chart just goes up really? uh nothing to do with anything that i can take credit for but what did happen then was a couple of the vendors came to me and said well you know we're getting some traction on the concept you invented the term what can you do so that's why we have the customer data platform institute which was formed as sort of a consortium of vendors to to you know promote the promote the concept and just explain it to the market because people were still, you know, now they've begun to hear the term, but they didn't know what it meant. But the interesting thing about CDP is of all the technologies I've dealt with, you know, in, in over the years, it's the easiest to explain. You say, get, you know, unified customer data in one place, light bulb goes off. People get that really simple concept to grasp, And they all know they need it because they know that, you know, they have all this data that's fragmented and the, famous silos that we all talk about, right? It's all true. So that they, need, they know they need it together. So they, they immediately get the idea. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. This thing has a name even better. You, oh, you can actually go out and buy these things. Wow, even better still. So right. it, it's been a very interesting ride and, and just, uh, you know, interested just can continue to grow and understanding. And there's now like 100 vendors or so calling themselves CDP, something crazy. Uh, and they all do little different stuff. That's, a whole, that's another story. Uh, but just the notion that, yeah, we got to get get our data together in one place and then let all of our systems use it instead of having each system build its own database. Yes. Uh, that That's one that is easy to sell. Now, help me understand where CRM compares to CDP then. Okay. Well, you're two letters different for one. I know. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but CRM, the way we see the world, of course, is a very data-centric view of the world, right? Mm-hmm. So we see all the systems that interact with customers, which includes CRM, 
email, marketing automation, your website, your mobile apps, your point of sale in the store, your kiosk, the list goes on and on, your voice devices, you know, nowadays, whatever it is. So all those systems are independently interacting with customers and collecting data about the customers. Uh, the CDP then pulls the data from all those systems into one place. Again, matches them up so you get a complete picture of each customer as opposed to a bunch of valuable fragmented views that are not connected. And then it makes that data available back out to those systems. So you usually synchronize. So you, you got a customer record in your CRM. It's got a phone number, but not an email address. You have your email system that has an email address. And now you do some matching. You be recognized. Oh, yeah, this email is opened on this uh, computer with this cookie. And this cookie actually matches up to this uh, phone number on the CRM. So now I can push that back out to the CRM. So I can tell the CRM, oh, that's the email address, or that's the phone number, or that's the cookie, whatever it is. So I can get a complete picture in all my edge systems, in all my customer-facing systems. So CRM is one of those. And the reason you do that in a separate system, not just in a CRM or in marketing automation or in your data management platform, your DMP, is that those systems are all built for different purposes. So your CRM system, is really great for you to call up David Robb's record, look at it on the screen and look at the history of conversations and your notes and your tasks and everything you've ever done with David. And the, you know, the guy sitting next to you can look up somebody on you know, Casey's record and there can be thousands of people looking up simultaneously, different people and talking to him on the phone or prepping a sales call or whatever. And you build a system to do that in a certain way, to, to pull up all the record information about one person at one time and interact with it. If you want a system that has all your customer information and lets you do things like list creation for email or segmentation or do analysis for attribution or predictive modeling, we look at all the customers at the same time, you build that system very differently at a technical level. So you really can't have one system do those two different things. They're just incompatible. You kind of design the system to be optimized for one function or the other. So your CRM system is optimized for that. Your marketing automation is basically optimized for email. DMP is optimized to pushing audiences out to advertising. Web personalization is optimized for that. So they all have their own unique and you know, appropriately different and appropriately tailored technologies, but none of those technologies are the same as what you'd use in a CDP. Right. So they're, they're you know, I like how you said it, they're appropriately tailored and as they should be to make that process efficient. You know, the emailing side, it's marketing, it's lead gen, especially in the B2B sense. And then CRM, you have the sales, you know, maybe just I've been in the CRM bubble, but I, oftentimes you hear CRM platforms. I don't know if they're sort of borrowing the CDP moniker, but they're trying to say that, look, make us your single source of truth. You know, look, we have the marketing side now, we have the sales side, bring in your finance, you know, um, get financial force drop it in there. Now you can have all the things, but are we, we're still missing the other pieces or just be, it's being built off of a system that was geared for sales. And so because of they that. Are, yeah, they are generally missing, like pulling in web browser history, for example. Okay. CRMs, again, technically using a relational database, a SQL database, not really capable of, of efficiently processing web browser history. Right. Which is an unstructured class of data. It's just a different kind of data. So they are not really going to bring all the data in. But even if they did bring it all in, because the real purpose of the system is to make it so that one person at a time can look up 
but other person's record, the call center agent can call up your, your history. Right. And you structure that differently. So even if you had exactly the same data and you wanted to use it for analysis or access or list creation, you would still have to pull it out and then restructure it, store it in a different way. Probably even in a different database engine, you wouldn't put it in a SQL engine. You put it in a, a NoSQL engine and, and, and then use that for that purpose. So even if your CRM is, in fact, the source of truth, the one yeah. place that, that has the best data, the most accurate data, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it's suitable to do what a CDP does. Interesting. Yeah, you know, and sometimes CRM, isn't it? Sometimes it's QuickBooks, right? The people that, you know, have, uh, we see this a lot with like um, recurring services where you might have closed one opportunity in your CRM and maybe that just shows one month, but you've actually been billing for 15 months and maybe you've, you've tailored your CRM to note that, maybe you haven't, but for sure the checks being sent and received and the cash coming in, that's geared properly in QuickBooks so I can see how you design systems for the data coming in and trying to make one of them, you know, it it can make it inefficient if you, you know, if you try to hack CRM to make it work with web browsing history, one of them's not going to be, you know, what it should be. You kind of messed it up a little bit. That's right. And it goes the other way too. You know, the CDP is not going to replace your CRM. Your CRM is really good at being a CRM. Uh, and even marketing automation, you know, marketing automation is good at doing marketing automation. The CDP yeah. doesn't do that. Right, right. Which is why it was better to have that as opposed to CRM doing it and then eventually merging them. At what point, when does a CDP make sense? Is it a certain size company? Is it a certain type of activity you're going after as a marketer? What's the threshold? Well, it's been mostly, a you know, enterprise class software. Yep. Uh, and... We're now seeing more mid-market. There's actually a fair amount, you know, to find mid-market, right? We're talking about, you know, north of $100 million in revenue. Okay, that's mid-market, say. And, you know, some people would think of that as still pretty large. But, you know, we see a fair number of the CDPs uh, handling that. We're now beginning to see CDPs that are in the $1,000 a month range, maybe even as low as $500 a month, which makes them more accessible to smaller businesses, you know, not the smallest of businesses, but pretty small. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's as much a matter of, of affordability as anything else. What we see is that the systems that are used by the smaller businesses tend to have a broader uh, set of features built in. So, you know, the, again, the core of a CDP is to build a database. That's, that's by definition what a CDP does. And if you're a big enterprise and you already have you know, a great CRM system and a great call center and a great web. You don't want to replace that. Mm-hmm. And you just want a system that builds a better database because that's where your pain is. Right. More companies might not have such great CRM and web and, and, and call center systems. So they're a little more open to replacing that with one system that does a bunch of things that they can then not have to connect. So they save on integration costs. They don't have to buy multiple systems and deal with the contracts and all that nonsense. Uh, so it's a lot easier for some littler companies, and again, mid-market, I'm talking about not tiny little companies, but mid-market companies are more likely to buy a CDP that also does analytics mm. and also does at least some personalization. Now, because of what I was talking about before with the differences in the data structures, uh, you're not going to have one system, even one CDP that sends email. Right, that's a different capability, or that is actually the interface for the CRM system. So at some point, you draw the border and say, well, you know, 
The CDP does a lot of processing, it does some analytics, can do maybe even like selecting the next best message for someone. But to actually deliver that message, that's almost always going to be a separate system that the CDP connects to. Right. Not part of the CDP. Now, really, really small businesses will use, you know, an all-in-one system like uh, what used to be Infusionsoft. They just changed the name. Sure. Uh, or even Wait, what did they change it to? Keep, K-E-A-P. About a month ago. Yeah. K-E-A-P from Infusionsoft? K-E-A-P, yeah. yeah. Why'd they do that? I'm not sure. Actually, well... They had some, I, I don't know about the naming, Infusionsoft, I think, uh, had a, uh, a brand that was a very, you know, this is a very comprehensive system, um, you know, very powerful, but it takes somebody who really is willing to invest a lot of time. True. Keep is a, is, is a simpler version. It just does a few things. So they, they were going after a different market segment. And you can buy the old Infusionsoft. It's now, I think, Infusionsoft from Keep or... Oh, got it. Yeah, the joke was they people called it confusion soft. I have heard that joke. Yes. Yeah. So I guess uh, I guess now we can't call it that anymore. Well, you can, but they'll say, "Yeah, but now you can buy." If you're confused by infusion soft, you buy key. Uh, right. But to your point earlier, it was you know the smaller tools make sense. They include more and more features. They do everything. Those all-in-one yeah. systems is the point. Yeah. They do everything because again, that's what a small business wants. Because I think the goal is to have that single source of truth, and that the bigger you get, you know the the requirement becomes much and much simpler. It's like, no, we just need to store the data here and then right, right. Yes. sync up with all the tools that are best in class and what mm-hmm. they actually execute. Exactly. Interesting. So I, I think this is kind of eye-opening for me because I might be thinking, you know, CRM is a single source of truth. Perhaps when it comes to, you know, a smaller company or when it comes to just the revenue channel, like, you know, gen- the marketing, the sales, maybe a little customer interaction, but there's, there's more out there, especially as you become a bigger and bigger company and you're using different channels and you're using different technologies and it becomes unwieldy to try to store all the data in that one location when you might be needing it for some other purposes. So having that CDP then makes sense. Yep. Does marketing buy that typically or is that like an IT purchase? It's more marketing purchase so far. Interesting. Uh, it's, that's where it started out. Remember, remember the little history lesson I gave about it started out with marketing applications building their own database. Right. So they're always sort of very t- closely tied to marketing. What we're seeing just now is corporate IT groups sort of eyeing it and saying, well, you know, the guys have <laughs> some success. They could use this data. The guys over in ops, they could use the same data. They're always beating on me to get some sort of a customer view. Let me take that CDP thing that marketing just bought and see who else can use it. So there's definitely that's going on, and sometimes they'll even initiate yeah. uh, that if, if they're you know paying attention and, and recognize it. Uh, who do you think option. should own it? Should you, do you think it should be an IT purchase or? Uh, you know, everybody should just get along. Really. <laughs> it's, it's the reality of it is that. Uh, IT is responsible for the systems. They have to be responsible for security and, and privacy and compliance and stuff like that, which marketers are usually not very good at. And getting back to our, you know, marketers not being very good at buying technology. They're also not really that good at running technology. They want, just want to do their jobs and right. cut in a few corners. So you kind of need IT to be kind of the grown-ups in the room for that. And they are better at buying it and they're better at running it and understanding the implications, all these things we're just talking about. This doesn't mean that they should be in charge. Mm. They need to be involved. They need you need them to give you access to the other systems, you know, just you know, technically to give the credentials and stuff. Uh, but 
survey after survey that we've seen shows that when the marketers are in charge, they get better results, or at least they're happier. And maybe they're just happy. <laughs> but we think that they actually know what they need a little better than IT knows what they need. Right. Well, it's centuries of marketing wanting to update the website and having to put a Jira ticket in and then waiting right. for it. So that's why you know, even marketing automation came out. I can make my own landing pages and I don't need to get IT's permission. This is great. Suddenly I can get more done. And, it's all, and I've seen like all that technology sort of shift from IT over to marketing. But this is one particular tool where I could see handing this thing off lightning quick over to back to IT. Oh, I need to make sure this data is good so finance can grab it? Nah, IT, why don't you wrangle this? As long as they're, they're not being evil gatekeepers to the data, but facilitating. I could almost see this sort of rejuvenating the need for IT because you're really kind of connecting data back and forth across the whole org. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's a little more than most marketing departments want to take on. Now, you know, you have marketing technologists and people like that, so then you get into people who are effectively IT people working for marketing and they could probably handle it. But again, there's always data that's outside of marketing, like your financial data and stuff. So even if you wanted to not have them involved, you couldn't, they're going to be involved and they actually do bring some value. Right. I think sometimes the, the thought was at least marketers have an end goal in mind versus upkeep. So maybe it'll be, we'll use the data to drive more sales or something. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Well, this is this has all been really interesting. It's sort of like eye-opening, expanding, you know, like Neo waking up in the Matrix on planet Earth and, you know, eating oatmeal for the first time. This is pretty cool. Who are you? Where did you come from? You know, like, how did you end up creating these terms and this institute? And, you know, obviously you've been in marketing for a long time. Uh, I have been. We don't like to discuss how long I've been in marketing. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have people who say, oh, yeah, I used to read your articles 30 years ago. Like, nah, that was my dad wrote those articles. Right. I didn't, uh, I've been around, I'm not old enough for that. Uh, but my, I started out as a marketer uh, okay. many, many years back in the uh, magazine industry, you know, doing some magazine circulation, which is cool now because that was subscriptions like before SaaS, you know. Yeah. I had, you know, I had SaaS marks. Oh, you don't understand it because we're selling subscriptions. It's like, do not sell subscriptions when you're in diapers. Yeah, yeah. pull up a knee here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I did that for a while, uh, right. continuities. Um, and then fairly early on, uh, I, I switched into consulting. Uh, the actual specific path was I was my last corporate job. I, um, I supervised the predictive modeling team at this, at this fairly large direct marketing organization. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm a statistician, but... I was just going to hire my old guys when I left that job, and but nobody had any data. Nobody had any databases, so we looked at building databases. But this is still back in mainframe days because it is a long time ago. Uh, actually, we have many computers, but so it's like no, that takes too much capital. I can't build databases, but I can help people find other vendors to build databases. So I became a consultant, and uh, we went ever since so for many, many years. So as part of consulting, of course, you have to keep in tune with what's going on in the industry. You know, it's been a writer anyhow. So wrote reviews uh, of software for, for many years in various places to write reviews. Uh, and, you know, just built up that kind of a reputation. So then you become like you're an analyst as well as a consultant. And that business is just going on and on. And that was what led to the naming of CDP is just part of that process. And now most of my time, all my time is really spent with the Institute. I do almost no consulting anymore. Just, uh, out there evangelizing CDPs, explaining things. Yeah, like you're doing now. Like, like educating, 
young marketers like myself. I'm sorry? So, you know, educating young marketers like myself. See, I called myself young. Just, yeah, there you go. There but, you, go. Um, you know, I, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, some marketers like, I, I was reading your blogs in you know, preschool. It just reminds me of like Tom Brady, you know, some of the guys he plays with now. Right. watched him when they were in kindergarten or something on TV. And now they're, and then they end up playing with him, you know? That's right. Yeah. Tom and I have a lot in common. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that. I was yeah, just say that. a little like too. And, you know, at what point did you make the call to go to Harvard and, and throw down, get that, you know, that golden MBA from Harvard? I did that right out of college. Right out of college? Most people don't do, I think, maybe 10% of the class. Most people had a couple of years' experience, but I was just kind of on that, uh, you know, conveyor belt at that point. And yeah. uh, seemed like the thing to do. And I could have gone to law school and I could have gone to B school. Law school was three years and B school was two years. And <laughs> I was like, had enough school at that point. So I was like, okay, I'll do this one. And anyhow, the lawyers work for the MBAs. Uh, which I guess is still true. That's true. I hear that. But they get to charge them a lot per hour, don't they? They do charge a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, th- this has been really cool. I, by the way, you know, anyone listening, um, we do always do video here. And, and David, you got this amazing background from Greece behind you. I know this is the studio. Did you take that photo or uh, no, it's a really good backdrop. Of I mean, that's the island of Santorini. If you've ever been to Santorini, that's like the iconic view of Santorini. The blue domes and everything. Domes, you can see the, uh, the, uh, the island is, you know, it's a volcanic uh, crater and it curves around. So you can see towards the end, which is a place called Dio with memory surf. Uh, we've been there three or four times, uh, favorite place in the world. So I just like to, as I'm sitting in my little cave in Philadelphia, I just look at the window or the full window. It's, oh, yeah, I really right. need Santorini. So it keeps me amused. You know, it's interesting. It is in like a window frame. So it does kind of look like right, you know, right behind you. It's like you're joining us from Greece here and you're, yeah, yeah. you're traveling. So, uh, so you said you mentioned favorite place in the world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Santorini, no doubt. You've been there? So I haven't been there. So uh, I, I highly recommend it if you haven't. In, in any guidance? Because I actually haven't done Greece yet. Or, well, we love Greece. Uh, you know, my we, my we honeymoon there. My wife and I. We've been there with our kids. We've been with friends. And it's three or four times now. Um, just you know, it's a very kind of laid back sort of culture, and um, we've always found the people to be very nice. And uh, but yeah, just sitting on the beach and drinking ouzo and <laughs> and. Uh, eating there's a little fried fish thing that they have like some they just take the little minnows and fry them like french fries wow not a bad life you know that ouzo adds up fast too it does, it does. It does. <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta sip that or you gotta take it easy otherwise you can end up with a really wonderful <laughs> afternoon <laughs> well this is awesome what are some of the places where people can um connect with you you maybe throw out some links including the institute um, yeah, well, the cdpinstitute.org okay. is the uh, Institute's primary website. That's the easiest one to say. Um, you know, I do blogs, still a fair amount on, on my, my, my blog spot blog. I lose a lot of, a lot of cred when you talk about using Blogspot, unfortunately. But Sure you do. Yeah, I know. I won't judge you, though. No, no, don't judge. Maybe a little. Um, <laughs> but whatever. So, do you still have an AOL email address? or? You know, I do. <laughs> do you use it? <laughs> I do not use it. I check it about once a week. Uh, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, 
but yeah, so if you Google David Rob blog, well, yeah. it'll, it'll come up because it's some crazy long thing. Um, those are the two main places. Uh, you know, there is a website, a Rob Associates uh, Inc. website, but it doesn't have much on it. And most of my stuff nowadays is really through the Institute. Yeah, you mentioned, obviously, the Institute and your blogging is really the, the focus right now. It's great. It's a passion. It's taking off and, you know, more and more technology, but you need that centerpiece in the middle to connect yeah. it. Yeah. Do you do you end up helping organizations purchase CDPs, or does that make you kind of not neutral? So you kind of have to be the neutral institute. We'll do, again, I made my living as a consultant for most of my life, but now uh, honestly, I don't even have the time. So I have so much. Wow. That the conflict. We're actually we're actually setting up an affiliated consulting organization. Plus, the institute has affiliations with a number of uh, relevant consulting groups. So there's a actually a list of, of CDP consultants on the website who, okay. with whom, you know, we don't have any financial arrangements, but, uh, you know, it's a good place to look if you need that kind of help. Uh, or we do some of it too. Most of my consulting now is more just sort of architecture, sort of a higher level, you know, because what mo most of these large companies have is that they have somebody in MarTech whose job it is to know how to buy these things and to put everything together. Uh -huh. So that's the work that I did for many years, but now because they are the people to do that, They'll bring me in just to sort of look over their shoulder and validate. Yeah, this plan makes sense. Or have you thought of this? Or have you thought of that? So it's a different, little different what kind of consulting, uh, and not, not quite the same as going out and spending you know months and months interviewing people throughout a company, which is what what we used to do. Right, the requirements gathering. I, all, all I know is at the very beginning it got me all nervous about making any more marketing purchases. So yeah, uh, good, my work here is done. My work here is done. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks again. I really appreciate you coming on here and obviously getting getting schooled on CDP by the the creator, the founder, the master builder of it all. It has been uh, has been awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Casey. Awesome. And for everyone else out there listening, if you learn something, um, share this with someone else. And if you're looking at CDP or you're having the issues related to not having one, you know, definitely seek out the Institute and, you know, either connect with the, the resources there. Uh, I know they have webinars coming up, so just go out there and get those resources so you're, you're in the loop. And like I said, if marketing owns it, then it's successful. So uh, definitely this is for you and marketing and those sides companies. Uh, but this has been great. So thanks again, David. And for everyone else out there, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.